0: desert and you look back, you're going to be able to see footprints in the sand. You don't have to try to do it. It's just something that happens. And as believers, believer, that's what God wants us to do. When we walk these beaches of life, because this is a beach of life, sometimes the sand's hot, sometimes it's nice and cool, sometimes it's really nice and clean, and sometimes you step on a rock. But this is some kind of a beach sometimes we live in. But as we walk through these beaches of this life, we're going to leave footprints. And we don't have to do anything out of the extraordinary to do it all we have to do is listen to God's voice and when we encounter certain situations in our life then God wants us to deal with them he doesn't want us running away from situations oh no I better go call pastor because I don't know what I'm going to do here he wants you as a believer to be able to step in and say hey I can do this because God anoints you to do it the same as he does me I'm no different than you are I just have a different calling on my life and a different ministry than what you have my, my mission is no more important than what yours is. And God's going to hold me accountable to what I've done according to his will. If I fulfilled the calling in my, in his, in my life that he wants me to do, that's what he wants me to do, and you, may ha- you have a different calling. But God wants you to fulfill that calling. But no matter what calling you have in your life, you're going to run, run around situations that you're going to have to deal with as a Christian. If somebody comes up to you that, that is sick, God expects you to pray for them. That's, that's what God wants you to do. And he said, hey, it didn't say this verse that the pa- signs will follow the pastor. It didn't say it, signs will follow the deacons. It doesn't say that. It says signs will follow believers. So the only requirement to fulfill this verse is to be a believer. That's it. And when you believe... You don't have to worry about the other things, because if I believe in something, I'm gonna respond in a way that I know I believe. Just like I've used the example about electrical appliances in your home. If you don't have electricity in your house, you're not gonna be able to you're not gonna go in there and plug in appliances and turn them on, expect them to work. You have to be plugged into the power, plugged into electricity. And that's what salvation is for us that believe. It's the plugging in to the, the power, plugging into the electricity, because it isn't us, it isn't us that does these things, it's God who does them through us. Just like the electricity through the plug that you've got through, they're attached to the motor that makes it work. It isn't the machine itself. It's useless. Without electricity, those things are just things that are pretty to look at. And they're useless, even though they cost a lot of money sometimes. But God is the power behind us as believers. And he said that if you're a believer, these things are available to you. It's up to you to turn the things on. It's up to you to stand up and say, hey, I'm going to take care of the situation now. I don't need to worry about calling the pastor. But if you want to call the pastor, I'll be glad to, you know, come pray with you or whatever I need to do. Because sometimes, you know, you need two people. Because when two or three agree together, it works, doesn't it? We've been praying for Rocky for a long time. And the con- consensus of prayer has been a mighty army battling against this situation. And God is faithful. But God wants each one of us to respond to these things that he's called us to do. And we went through all these the last few weeks. We talked about they will cast out demons, they'll speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents. And this week we're going to be talking about if they drink any deadly thing, it will, by no means harm them. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. It, I think it's kind of amazing that these, all these verses are here, but the only one that anyone has decided to make a doctrine out of was the one where they're picking up snakes. I think it's kind of interesting. They ignore the rest of the verses and single this one out. Well, I don't see them testing this part of the verse either. They drink any deadly thing, it will not harm that. I don't see them doing that. Hey, I'm drinking this poison. Hey, come and watch my faith work. I don't see them doing that. Because <laughs> that'd be crazy, wouldn't it? Because this scripture says if not when. Now, that's a, that's a pretty big meaning on that little word, if. If it would have said when, then it, God would have said, go ahead and do it on purpose. But he didn't mean for us to do it on purpose. He meant that if something happens in our life and in situations, that if this is necessary, that he's going to protect us. But a lot of times, the people don't know they're drinking the poison, or they don't know that they're eating something that, that's bad for them in ministry. Uh, that's kind of some of the things that we're going to do, deal with today. I remember the story about a family that went over to his folks' house for dinner. And while they were eating, they went sit down at the table, and little Johnny started eating, eating, eating as fast as he could eat, and his dad says, Johnny, what are you doing? He says, you know, we always pray before we eat. He says, yeah, I know that, but that's at our house. But grandma's a good cook. I don't know what the mother thought of that. <laughs> but that isn't, that isn't what the scripture means. <laughs> but in the time of Jesus' time, the political powers that be would have loved to have gotten rid of the Christians. Man, they'd love to have gotten rid of the, the apostles. If Man, if they could just destroy all the leadership, it would have been a great thing for them. And what better way to destroy them? Because sometimes it's kind of hard, you know. I mean, we talked about Paul this morning going around and yanking people out of their homes and bringing them to Jerusalem for, for judgment, throwing them into jail and all those kind of things. But poison was so much faster and quicker. And it was easier. It was readily available to people. And they didn't know, didn't leave any signs of who did it. So it was pretty, pretty easy to do. So in that day and age, they thought, man, what better way than get, you know, put poison in the apostles' food? We'll get rid of them really quick. So Jesus tells them, if these situations happen when you're ministering in my name, and because of my name, people want to kill you by giving you poison, don't worry about it. Don't be hesitant to eat something that's set before you or drink something that's set before you. Go ahead and eat it or drink it because I'm going to protect you. And none of the disciples or apostles died from poison. So that's kind of an interesting situation there, especially when we realize the Muhammad was killed by poison. Interesting, huh? If he had been a true apostle of God, he would could not have died by it. I thought that was very interesting when I found that out. I've got a little thing here I'm going to read about the history, taken right out of, uh, uh, of the life of Muhammad by uh, Muslim people wrote this book, so it isn't just me putting stuff in here. It says, Muhammad in the seventh year of Herjah, I'm not very good with these names either, so if I stumble over them, that's okay. Uh, by the year AD 628, took the city of Kerbar from the Arab Jews and took up residence at the house of Herath, the, the father of Marhab. Man, these people. I wonder Why couldn't they name John and Sally and Joe and whatever, but anyway. Took up residence in the Jewish general who had been killed when they took the city by Ali, the son-in-law of Muhammad. Zinab, the daughter of Hereth, was appointed to prepare the prophet's dinner to avenge the death of her people, and her brother put poison in a roasted lamb which was provided for the occasion. Bar- Bar- Bashar, one of his companions, ate too hastily and died on the spot. Whatever po- poison they had, man, that stuff was potent. And Mohammed had only, had only one chewed, one mouthful, but had not swallowed it. Perceiving that it was poison, he immediately spat it out. Yet he had swallowed enough to start the process. Though he didn't die till about three years later, it was the cause of his death. When the mother of Bashar came to him to see him on his deathbed, he said to her, O oh, mother of Bashar, I now feel the veins of my heart bursting through the poison of that morsel which I ate when thy son at Kibar, and Abud Fida and Ilaherun, and Ebon Ferris, they were uh, ma- Muslim... Uh, Theologians or books writers, whatever they were, said that the Prophet acknowledged on his deathbed that the poison that he had taken at Kibra had torn- tormented him from that time until then, and everything was done in the beginning to prevent its effects. No matter what they did to try to prevent this poison from killing him, it didn't work. And Al and uh, Al Jahabai said that when Zina was questioned why she did this, she answered, I said in my heart, if he be a king, we shall be be freed from his tyranny, and if he be a prophet, he will easily perceive it and consequently receive no injury. To support his credit as a prophet, he pretended that the lamb spoke to him and said that it was infested with poison, and, but he didn't put Kenab to death because it would nullify his claim to be a prophet. God saw to it that this fact would be acknowledged by the dying breath of Muhammad and that the several of the most partial Mohammedanian historians corroborate it. So I thought that's kind of interesting. And I don't know why. That's the first time I'd ever heard about that. I didn't know that. How many knew that he died of poison? I didn't know that. You see, if he'd have been a true believer and believed in the, in the Bible, as God said it was, it wouldn't have killed him. So that's kind of interesting to uh, know. In 2 uh, Kings, the fourth chapter, if you want to go there for a quick minute or two, we'll be there. Uh... It's interesting that God said he'll protect his people if they're in the course of his ministry. Now, I know that we have a lot of missionaries that eat a lot of strange things. If you're on the mission field, you're very familiar with, with strange things that people eat across the world. And some things, they don't ask what it is. They just eat it. <laughs> and it's... Some of it's probably not pretty. I've heard a lot of stories of missionaries when they've come returned from the field about some of the things that they've eaten and how hard it was to eat them, eat that stuff, and they didn't have to worry because God said, "I'll protect you. You're out here doing my work, and these things I'm going to protect you." So they had to hold on to that promise, and we can hold on to that promise today too. In 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, verse 38, it says, "And Elijah returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land." Now the sons of the prophet were sitting before him, and he said to his servant, Put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophet. So they went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew. Though they did not know what they were, then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it, so it said, "Then bring some flour." And he put it into the pot and said, "Serve it to the people that they might eat." And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Now, this was a bunch of school of uh, the prophets. There was a place where they studied under Elijah to be able to, to be able to minister as prophets, and uh, they ate this stuff. And they didn't know what it was. They didn't intend to going out there and picking up poison stuff just to test their faith, because. God doesn't want us testing our faith by eating stuff we shouldn't be eating. Now, if I know I'm allergic to peanuts, I'm not going to be eating peanuts and say, God, protect me. That'd be crazy. God says he will protect us, but we're not supposed to tempt God. Don't tempt God. He said, test and test me and see that I won't, you know, if you're faithful to me and see that I won't pour you out a blessing, but don't tempt me. Don't tempt God. That's crazy because we're gonna, you'll end up in trouble if you do. Because there's no guarantee if we do something stupid that God's going to protect us. Sometimes he protects the stupid. I know he's protected me a time or two in my life. (laughs) I've done a lot of stupid things in my life. And he's protected me from it. And he's preserved me so I could come to a knowledge of his salvation. Because he had a purpose for my life. So sometimes God protects us when we're stupid or we do stupid things. We're not stupid. We just do stupid things. Should stipulate that. Nobody's stupid. We just have a tendency to do things that aren't very smart sometimes. But they didn't eat this stuff to prove their faith. They ate it because they were hungry and there was a famine in the land at this time. So they tried to eat whatever was available. And sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to eat what's available. That's what missionaries do on the field. They have to eat whatever's available because sometimes food isn't plentiful. And so they were eating this stuff and they picked it up because they needed something to eat. They were hungry. And so they ate it. They didn't eat it knowing it was poison. They ate it it because they were hungry. And when you're hungry, you'll have a tendency to eat things you won't eat other other times in your life. And I hope I never get hungry enough to eat bugs. <laughs> I mean, John the Baptist can have those locusts and honey, but I'll take a steak any day—hamburger, <laughs> <laughs> hot dog, anything. Don't oh. So I'm hoping we never reach that that point. <laughs> but they ate whatever was available, and the and it was a choice it was bad. It was a bad choice, and so. Elijah, they came to the man of God, and Elijah threw some flour in it. Now, the flour had no, uh, had no medicinal purposes in it. You can't just put flour in something, and it's going to get rid of the poison. It wasn't that. It was just the, the obedience of Elijah to do what God told him to do. And then that was what caused it to get rid of the poison in the stew. It wasn't the flour. It wasn't the flour any more than it's the anointing oil that we use when we pray for somebody that has a need. It isn't. There's no power in the anointing oil. There's no power in anything that we can do like that. And there was no power in the flour. It was in the obedience of Elijah and telling them what to do. And when they were obedient to do what God had told him to do, then that's where the power was at. And Elijah was a Holy Spirit filled man of God. Jesus he was just like we are today. Elijah had no more power in the Old Testament than we do in the New Testament. The Old Testament, only certain people were singled out to be able to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. But in the New Testament, every one of us can have that same anointing that Elijah had. We can have that double portion today if we want to because it's available to us. And with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, when we get in a circumstance in our life and we ask God, what should I do? And God tells us what to do. And then we're obedient to what he tells us to do then that's where the power is because God flows through us in what we do. And that's what happened in this situation. So that's just one um, example of how poison was treated in the Old Testament. Now, I know that um, when I fix dinner, Randy has to eat everything that I fix because he says it's hazardous wages, he throws it away because he used to be an environmentalist. So he can't throw it away. He has to eat it. So anyway, that's just a... <laughs> <laughs> I do remember one time, though, where I accidentally drank some bleach. I was clean this one house. I'd rip, we'd we'd uh, gotten into a different house, and they'd had a lot of animals. And sometimes you know what happens when people have a lot of animals. And so I ripped out all the carpeting, and I thought, man, I'd rather have these, this floor, wooden floor with uh, whatever, than I would have the, the, the residue from these animals. So I ripped it out, and I'd been out in all day dumping bleach all over the floor, trying to get all the, the smell out of the, uh, out of the flooring because all that stuff sinks down into wood. And I remember I was sitting there, and I had a glass of water here, and I had a thing of bleach. I don't know why I put the bleach in a cup. I guess, see, that's one of those things that you have sometimes. And so I just picked up, and I was tired, and I just reached over, and I grabbed that bleach, and I... <laughs> I knew instantly it wasn't something I wanted to drink. And I spit that stuff out, and I I did everything. But I didn't go around panic. I said, God, your word says. <laughs> you know? And as you can see, I'm still here. <laughs> so those are those the scriptures for those times when we accidentally do things or something accidentally happens to us. If, if, not when, if, of course for me it was when. <laughs> if those kind of things happen, then we have this scripture that we can lean on. Sometimes if you're out in the middle of nowhere and something happens to you, you're not going to be able to get to a hospital on time. So it's either trust God or die. You quote this scripture to God and say, God, this is what your word says. You don't have anything to lose. (laughs) Those are the times that this this scripture comes into play. Now in Numbers, the fifth chapter, if you want to go there, we're going to read some scriptures there. And I think that this has a lot of insight into this verse. Also, that maybe you don't even know these verses are even in the Bible, but they're there. And there's some interesting verses, and it's going to be a long, a lot of scriptures. We're going to read like 18 verses here. Numbers, the fifth chapter. And I know a lot of people think, "Oh, not the old, not the old Testament." There's so much stuff in that old Testament. I hate them. I don't like the laws. I don't like that Leviticus and Numbers and. Deuteronomy stuff, because all it is is just laws and rules and regulations and all kinds of stuff that I don't like to be dealing with. Well, sometimes you can get a little bit of insight into some of these laws and things that are going on that we can bring forward to today and get some insight out of it. And that's what I want to look at today, uh, starting with verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Suppose a man's wife goes astray. And she is unfaithful to her husband and has sex with another man. But neither her husband nor anyone else knows about it. She has defiled herself, even though there was no witness, and she was caught in the act. And she was not caught in the act. If her husband becomes jealous and is suspicious of his wife and needs to know whether or not she has defiled herself, the husband must bring his wife to the priest. He must also bring an offering of two quarts of barley flour to present it on her behalf. Do not mix it with olive oil or frankincense, for it is a jealousy offering, an offering to prove whether or not she is guilty. The priest will then present her to stand trial before the Lord. He must take some holy water in a clay jar and pour it into dust he has taken from the tabernacle floor. You know, somehow I always thought there'd never be any dust on the tabernacle floor. Did you? So if the tabernacle floor gets dirty, as holy as that place was, then, hey, you know, it's okay if I have some dust in the corner. Duane and them were moving the couch out over here. I told them, I still move that couch out. You'll see where my husband missed cleaning. So anyway, uh, when the priest had presented the woman before the Lord, he must unbind her hair and place it in her hands, and place in her hands the offering of proof. The jealousy offering determined whether her husband's suspicions are justified. The, person, the priest will stand before her holding the jar of bitter water that brings a curse to those who are guilty. The priest will then put the woman under an oath and say to her, If no other man has had sex with you and you have not gone astray and defiled yourself while under your husband's authority, may you be immune from the effects of this bitter water that brings, your husband, that brings on the curse. But if you have gone astray by being unfaithful to your husband, and defiled yourself by having sex with another man, at this point the priest must put the woman under oath by saying, May the people know that the Lord's curse is upon you when he makes you infertile, causing your womb to shrivel and your abdomen to swell. Now may this water that brings the curse into your body and cause your abdomen to swell and your womb to be shriveled. And the woman will be required to say, Yes, let it be so. And the priest will write these curses on a piece of leather and wash them off into the bitter waters. He will make the woman drink the bitter water and br- that brings on the curse. When the woman ends it, when the water enters her body, it will cause bitter suffering if she is guilty. The priest will take the jealousy offering from the woman's hand, lift it up before the Lord and carry it to the altar. He will take a handful of flour as a token of as a token portion and burn it on the altar, and he will require the woman to drink the water. If she has defiled herself by being unfaithful, to the water that brings on the curse will cause bitter suffering. Her abdomen will swell and shrivel and shrink, and her name will become a curse among her people. But if she has not defiled herself and is pure, then she will be unharmed and will still be able to have children. This is the ritual for dealing with suspicion. If a woman goes astray and defiles herself under her husband's authority. Kind of an interesting thing. During this period of time, this is when the Shekinah glory of God dwelled in the tabernacle and in the temple. So, but in this time frame, a period of time, they had what they called a, a test by trial or a test by ordeal. Where if you were accused of something, they would throw, you know, tell you you had to walk through fire. And if you made it through the fire, you'd be innocent. Or they'd throw you into a fast-moving river that would, you know, you'd probably drown in. Say, if you survive, then you're innocent. That'd be a terrible thing. Or they had all kinds of different things that they, that they had that people did. Test by ordeal to check test your innocence. And if you died, then you was guilty. So it was an easy test. If you died, hey, you was guilty and you deserved what happened. You deserved to die. But see, God didn't want any part of that. God didn't want any part of that as far as innocence was concerned. God wanted to determine the innocence for himself. And he did it in a way that if you were innocent, you were not harmed. But if you weren't innocent, then this, this test or this thing that he made you do would prove, that, prove your guilt. Now, if this woman, now it says a woman, but you know how the Old Testament is. <laughs> I'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll include all of us in it in a minute here. <laughs> but this woman, if she admitted her guilt, if she confessed her guilt, then she wouldn't have to drink this stuff and she wouldn't be killed. Her husband would divorce her and she would just live in shame for the rest of her life. But she would still be alive. So most of them, if they were guilty, they would confess, that they, confess their guilt. But if they didn't confess their guilt, Thinking, you know, this thing isn't going to work. After all, it's just some little water that I'm drinking with a little bit of dust in. A little dirt never hurt anybody. I know, because I remember when I was a kid, I used to eat it with a spoon. Go out there with your kids, and they're making mud piles. is okay, but when they start eating them, that's when you start getting concerned. So a little dirt don't hurt you. And what they would do is they'd write the curse that he would write about what the, he was, she was accused of. And she'd, he'd write this on something, and he'd pour water out, and he'd scrape it. Scrape, scrape it off of the leather until all the letters was gone into this water and stir it up and mix it and make her drink it. And if she didn't want to drink it, she was forced to drink it. It wasn't an option. They were going to make her drink that stuff. And then the God would judge him. If they were guilty, God would judge him. God is the one that we need to have judges, not man. Sometimes we can't see innocence or guilt. But see in, this old, in the Old Testament you have to have two witnesses before anybody could be condemned. Wouldn't matter how much proof you had, if you only had one witness, you had to have two. So sometimes a lot of people got off scot-free for things that they did. Well, God didn't like people to get away with stuff sometimes, so he provided a way to be able to find out. And he'd be the one to judge, and he knew whether or not people was guilty or not. So when they drank this, as soon as they drank this, if they were guilty, they would immediately get sick. Immediately they would get sick. And then they would eventually, their, their bellies would swell, and eventually they would die. And it was also said that if she was guilty and she drank this stuff, that whoever she had committed adultery with also died in the same way. So God got them too. <laughs> so I think that's kind of interesting because it seems like in the Old Testament, it was always the women that seemed like they're being singled out. But the men, of course, they, if they'd been unfaithful too, they would not bring their wife, to go through this judgment because then judgment would be brought on to themselves too. So they wouldn't bring them there unless they weren't. And if the woman was found innocent, then her name would be restored and she would be blessed and she, she would be able to have kids. So if she had barren before that, then God would open up her womb because of, her, uh, of what she'd suffered, all the rumors that she had suffered and all the things that she'd been through. And in the Old Testament, the more children you had, the more blessed you were. I'm glad I didn't live there. Man, I wouldn't want 10, 12 kids. I wouldn't like that. Four's enough. (laughs) So, but anyway, God blessed the woman, even though that she was under, put through this ordeal. It wasn't a big deal unless you were guilty. So it was nice that God was the one that judged them. They didn't just automatically go out and stone her because the husband was a little jealous of her, or maybe he wanted to marry somebody else and didn't like his wife anymore, so he figured he would bring up charges against her, and sometimes we do that, don't we? In today's society, pe- judges can be bought. People can be bought to, be, to rule injustice. Well, in God's court, there's no injustice. If you're innocent, you're not going to be uh, given the punishment as if you're guilty because God knows whether we're guilty or not. Now, we know that during this period of time that um, kings had taste testers They had people that that ate their food first or drank their wine first. You know, good job for somebody. (laughs) Maybe it didn't last very long. but (laughs) And if you died, then the king would know, Hey, I'm not eating that stuff. Forget that. Because the poisons, evidently the poisons they used back then were pretty powerful stuff. That it wasn't, you know, you'd just eat that stuff and, you know, within a short period of time, you'd die. There's a quick-acting poison. Today, we have more sophisticated po- uh, poisons because they do autopsies to find out what killed people if they die suddenly like that. And we even had an autopsy done on our dog when, when she died uh, from, and she, to find out that she was poisoned. Because, uh, and it was really hard. I'm glad I didn't have to preach this sermon last week. It would have been a lot harder than today. But they know when something has killed somebody, With poison, so they can test that today. So, but back then, hey, you want to get rid of somebody? Hey, just give them poison. Invite them over. Be friendly to them. Give them a little bit of poison. They'll die right before your eyes, (laughs) really fast. So, now I said all that to get us a new meaning for this word verse, because see, all of us stand before God guilty, aren't we? We're guilty, but God has provided us with an antidote. Jesus died on the cross to remove the curse or the penalty of our guilt. And so if when God required this test of us, we won't die because he's provided the antidote, and that's Christ dying on a cross. So we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about God's judgment at the end of, day, end of time to be judged because we're going to be found innocent because of the antidote. If you can get an antidote to a poison, it won't kill you. And Christ is the antidote that we have in our lives to be able to know that we aren't going to be found guilty, even though we are guilty. So if we'd have been living in, you know, if this would have happened in today's time frame, I could have just go to the cross and say, Father, I ask Christ to forgive me by his blood. Forgive me for this. Forgive me for what I have done. And then go and drink these bitter herbs. It wouldn't affect me because I would be found innocent because the guilt would be gone. And that's what happens in the New Testament because God finds us innocent even though we're guilty. And that's the greatest part of, of this verse. So it not only deals with the poisons that happens in this world, but sin is a poison. And sin will kill us. Without God, sin will kill us, and eventually it will kill everybody. Everybody's going to die. Why? Because of the curse of sin. Sure, Jesus died on the cross, but we're still under the curse of death in this physical world. But see, you can either die twice or you can die once. As Christians, we only have to die once unless the Lord comes and raptures us out of here, and then we don't have to die then either. But we don't have to worry about because the curse has been removed, so we don't have to worry about any deadly effects of our sin because God has found us innocent and when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he says hey why should I let you into heaven all we can say is because of the cross because Jesus died on a cross for my sin I am innocent I am covered with his righteousness I don't have to worry about anything because of his death I am set free I have, I'm just as if i would never sinned no matter what it is because God can't see through the blood of Jesus God can see through anything but the blood of Jesus. Besides that, the blood of Jesus eliminates the sin. It isn't like it covers it in the Old Testament. You just paint your house. Sometimes, you know, when you're when people are trying to sell it, they give it a new, fresh-looking paint job to make it look better than it is. But underneath it, it's still rotten away. Still don't look very good. That's what happened in the Old Testament. Was they just covered it. They just put a whitewash over sin for another year. They were the nation was good for another year because they just covered it with the blood but in the new testament it isn't covered anymore it's eliminated and it's gone and we're covered with the righteousness of god through christ jesus so when god looks at us he sees jesus and he sees us pure and he sees us clean but we don't have to worry about the curse so we don't have to worry about eating drinking anything deadly because god's going to take care of us we don't have to go out of our way to prove our faith and we go over to somebody's house, and, and they say, hey, I've got some poison here. You want to test your faith? Let's have a faith-testing party here. It's easier to test your faith with poison than try trying to find a snake. <laughs> See, we had all these times. Look at the history of America. We have the Dave, Dave Jones, Jim Jones, or whatever it was. He had all those people drink poison. And they knew, well, I don't know whether they knew they were drinking poison or not. They probably did. I don't know. It's gotten hard. They all died, so we don't really know. <laughs> we just have an opinion about whether they did or not. But see, if they'd been believers, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been harmed. Of course, they wouldn't have him either. Jim Jones or Koresh, whoever they are. Because they don't have to worry about drinking stuff. Because we're not going to go out of our way to do things because God's going to protect us from those kind of things. And there's another poison we have to deal with in our society. And it's not something that we drink. It's something that's worse, and that's doctrine. Any doctrine that says, if you join my church, you're going to be saved that's poison, that's poison. And they got all kinds of weird stuff out here in the world that we need to be protected from. We need an antidote from these poisons. And the antidote is right here. If we get this into our hearts, this is the antidote for bad doctrine. This is the antidote from things that we need, don't have to, that we have to worry about in society. We don't have to worry about because somebody's got a charismatic personality that people are following him like crazy when we have this, because this is our antidote. And when we have enough of this antidote in us and we hear all this false doctrine or we hear all these things, we don't need to worry about it because we're not going to perish. It's going to protect us from any deadly thing that we have because this is the antidote that we have. Jesus is the antidote for sin. This is the antidote from bad doctrine. But we have to study it. We have to ingest it. We have to gobble it up. Because our spirit man needs this to survive. So we don't have to worry about it. He's going to protect us from eating any deadly thing. It won't harm us. We'll speak with new tongues. We can take up serpents. We can cast out demons. All these things are available to us as Christians, as believers. And so we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to go out of our way or put an ad in the paper and say, Hey, I don't, uh, you want a demon cast out? Call me. Put your name in the phone book in big letters don't have to do that all we have to do is through our daily life we walk through it through life we don't have to worry about it because in some places of the world if you had to worry about eating something deadly or drinking something that was poison you wouldn't eat anything you wouldn't drink anything of course if you go to mexico and drink their water we all know what happens there montezuma's ranch right we won't have to worry about a lot of things so Jesus said, hey, you eat, what, eat what's set before you, and I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to go out of your way to try and offend people. Because in some parts of the world, you offend them if you don't eat what's set in front of you. You offend a lot of people. And God says, don't have to worry about it. If somebody's trying to kill you for my sake, I'm going to protect you. God wants to protect us, and we don't have to worry about it. He wants us to be able to walk in faith and not have to wonder and worry about everything that we do. That's what God's will is for our life. And as believers, we can do that. And as believers, he will help us and lead us and direct us and guide us in the way that he wants us to go. And not have to worry about all this stuff over here. He wants our goal to be able to be on him and not be worrying about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, or what happens if I run into a demon today, or what's going to happen if, I, if a serpent's after me, or, or whatever. And not be in fear, because that's basically what these, these scriptures are dealing with, fear. To do away with fear. He wants to remove all the fear of all these things. Of course, the society we live in isn't as scary as it was back then. The chances of running into a snake now is probably very minimal. Of course, we like I talked about last week, there's other serpents. The devil is the serpent that the devil talks about, that the Bible talks about. He's the serpent that we need to be concerned about. We don't have to worry about... If we run into a demon, we don't have to worry about it, because Jesus has already given us authority over him. We don't have to be afraid of all these things. So if we're not walking in fear and we're walking in faith, then we don't have to worry from day to day what happens, because our life is committed in him. And when we get the antidote for all the things that we're going to face in the world, we don't have to worry. And that's what God's will is for our life. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day, Lord, and we, we thank you, Lord, that that you provided, Lord, your word for us. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your salvation and your Holy Spirit that dwells within us, Lord, to lead us and guide us into all truths. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to worry about if we eat any deadly thing. We don't have to worry about snakes. We don't have to worry about demons. Because you've conquered them all. And you've given us authority over them all. And we don't have to fear anything that comes in our path because we walk by faith and not by sight. And we thank you for that, Lord, and Jesus name Are you here this morning and maybe you don't know God? Because all these things, well, you have nothing to look forward to if you haven't accepted Christ as your savior, if you're not a believer. You can't claim any promise in here. You can't claim a promise of God here in your prayer. You can't claim a promise of uh of anything. And you you'll be walking in fear, especially in the economy we live in today without God. All we're doing is walking in fear, and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't have to fear the economy. We don't have to fear anything if we walk in Christ. And that's what these verses give us power and authority over. Not just these individual things, but everything in general. Because Christ is our authority. Christ is our power. Are you here this morning you don't know Christ? If you're here, let me see your hand. Because today's a good day to meet him. It's a good day to meet Jesus. And you don't have to walk in fear, and you can walk in faith. Anyone here this morning? Anybody here this morning say, I've been walking in fear. And I don't want to walk in fear. I don't want to be concerned about the economy. I don't want to be concerned about what's going to happen tomorrow or today. I just want to be able to trust God because I have been fearful. Is that you? you haven't, is that you this morning? If that's you, let me see your hand. We'll pray for you. Okay.